The following program is recorded content created by the Truth Network. Is Israel about to divide into two Jewish states? It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, biblical scholar and cultural commentator, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice for moral sanity and spiritual clarity. Call 866-34-TRUTH to get on The Line of Fire. And now, here's your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Welcome, welcome, friends, to the Line of Fire broadcast. Michael Brown, as always, delighted to be with you. It's thoroughly Jewish Thursday. We're broadcasting from our studio at Mercy Culture in Fort Worth, my week down in the DFW area once a week during the school year, and broadcasting from our different studios here. But to everyone listening, everything sounds the same. Here's the number to call. Any Jewish-related question of any kind whatsoever, it could be Hebrew language, it could be modern Israel today, it could be Jewish background to the New Testament, it could be prophecies about Jesus being the Messiah. If it's Israel, Jewish related in any way, 866-348-7884. Before I, I go to the phones or talk about some other subjects, I want to focus on the conflict happening within Israel today. On a certain level, it's an inevitable conflict because Israel continues to be polarized, just like America, just like other nations, the polarization is getting deeper between the left and the right. There's a certain inevitability to it in Israel, though, based on demographics. So, so let, let me explain. The, the large majority of Israelis are not Orthodox Jews. So you could say about 70% of the population is not Orthodox uh, in many cases, many are very, very secular, very, very liberal. And in that sense, in a bad sense, in my view, Israel can be as progressive as any nation on the earth. And some years back, a survey was done in terms of the most gay-friendly cities in America. It's obviously, a gay publication did the survey. And the number one city, by far, I mean, nothing was even a close second or third to it, was Tel Aviv, Israel. So... That's, that's just part of a picture of Israel, left-leaning, very, quote, progressive, and would share the values of many in the left, on the left in America. But their birth rate is lower than, than in the religious communities. In fact, overall, it would be fairly similar to America, which is a little bit lower than it should be for, for long-term reproductive health for a nation. In other words, to sustain itself, you need on average about 2.1 children born for every woman during marital, uh, during ge uh, general childbearing age, which is 18 to 44. So you, you wanna have about 2.1 children on average per woman during childbearing years to maintain society because otherwise what happens, as is happening in Japan and other countries, the society gets older and older. There are not enough of the younger generation to sustain it and, and then it, it begins to die as a society. So the larger culture, I'm not talking about Palestinian, I'm not talking about Orthodox Jews, is, is fairly secular. Yes, Saturday's a Sabbath, you, and you're not going to work that day, and the holidays of, of the Bible, those are the holidays that you live by, those are your national holidays. So there is a Jewish feeling, obviously, but more secular than religious. Then, and again, I'm giving very rough numbers. Roughly 30% would be more religious of them 13 to 15% ultra-Orthodox. So very, very religious, very, very observant. And their birth rates are much, much higher. Same with the Palestinians, much, much higher. It could be on average six or seven children per couple on average. 
one of my friends, we debate back and forth. He's a counter-missionary rabbi, learned rabbi, and we've debated back and forth for years. Lives in the States. He has 14 kids. And he said that's not uncommon in his community. My friend Rabbi Shmuley, nine kids, I think he and Debbie have. So in the more religious circles, you have these larger families. Well, what's going to happen demographically over the years is that the very religious are going to grow in numbers and the not as religious will go down. Now, of course, you have people emigrating to Israel every year, some religious, some non-religious. But you're going to have an increasing conflict as the years go on, especially as the left gets further to the left and the right further to the right. Now, very religious Jews, they basically want to live in their own community, right? They're, they're not interested in, in interfacing and interacting with the, the rest of the society. In, in other words, we have our jobs, we have our communities, we have our schools, and we just want to be able to live. Don't, don't draft our young men into the military because it's more important that they're studying Torah and praying every day. And plus, the military is a bad influence and it's a bad environment for them. So let us have our religious schools and let us be underwritten by the, the taxpayer money to supplement because we spend so much time studying and things. We don't have time for regular jobs. So there is this resentment within Israel like, hey, you're just sitting there studying all day. You're not, you're not fighting in the IDF. You're, you're living off taxpayer money. Why should we be supporting you? And they would be like, you're the, we're the only reason your nation still exists because of our prayer and our devotion to God, because you're all lawless. You're breaking the laws. We're trying to honor God and do the right thing. So the, the polarization continues. Now, here's what happens. On the one hand, you have separate communities. You have, say, Tel Aviv as a whole, but then you have B'nai Brock, ultra-Orthodox area. You have Jerusalem. Jerusalem as a whole is far more religious than, than Tel Aviv. But then you have the ultra-Orthodox areas, Yomea Sharim and other places like that. So... These are the realities, but when it comes to voting, the, the religious will have more and more numbers, and they want their parties in power to be able to negotiate to get into government leadership to make sure that, for example, the government will be favorable to their men not being constrained to fight in the military, or the government will be favorable to underwriting their schools on a certain level, or the government will be favorable to certain communities and, and laws and observance and things like that, so now you end up with it, it, the current government is the most right-leaning government in Israel's history. Now, Prime Minister Netanyahu continues to say it's the government of all the people. And on the one hand, it was elected democratically, right? It, it, this is the democratically elected government that Likud, Netanyahu's party, got the most votes and seats. And then it worked out in alliance with the ultra-Orthodox groups and things and Orthodox groups so to, and, and, and nationalist right-wing groups. So to have... A majority that's the way the electoral system works if it went left that's how it works so it's it's just logistics it is based on democratic vote and there are people saying like for years for years you keep saying that democracy is at risk in israel and israel's going down this has been said for years for decades i read an article just listing all the different times that people are saying it's it the sky's falling but now things have deepened the opposition is deeper and we got a great call from our friend Yoni, Yonatan, former ultra-Orthodox Jew in Israel, called in last week, very, very concerned, actually anxious in his heart that Israel was, was splitting in front of him. And it, to catch you up, in case you've missed this, one of the big issues is judicial reforms because Israel does not have a constitution and just has one governing body, the parliament. And then you have the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court has even more power than the Supreme Court in America in many ways because 
it appoints its own. It's, it's not that the elected parliament will now appoint people to the Supreme Court. It, it is self-governing in that regard. And the parliament could vote on a certain thing and the Supreme Court could overthrow it. And, and now the, the Supreme Court, which is mainly left-leaning and, and Ashkenazi represented, so many would say it doesn't represent the people and it has unwieldy power and there should be judicial reform. But then others say, well, if the judicial reform is that parliament, the Knesset, could ultimately overrule what the court says with a certain vote, then parliament can just establish whatever it wants and there, there are no more checks or balances. So, of course... All sides are going to now polarize and get more worked up as normally happens. And trust is going to break down. And there are even articles saying, hey, maybe there'll be two Israels. Like there was a split between Israel and Judah, right? The 10 northern tribes broke away because of Solomon's sin. It was divine judgment. The 10 northern tribes broke away and Judah and Benjamin that remained. And then the Levites scattered between them. So uh, in, in any case, this is this is where we stand. And it's it's one of these situations, just like the situation with the, the Israeli Arabs and the Palestinians. What's the solution? A two-state solution, one-state solution, the, the surrounding nations repatriating or, or absorbing those that would be refugees in a more permanent way, etc. I don't, I don't have a simple solution. I agree that there are issues that need to be addressed. I agree that if Israel does wrong, Israel should be held accountable. And, and to the degree that Palestinian leadership still has terroristic mentality or wants to eradicate Israel, that obviously must be confronted and addressed. But I, I personally don't have a simple solution. I was asked years ago to sign on with a Messianic Jewish proposal. I said, well, I don't fully agree with this. They said, well, it's evolving. I said, okay, as long as it's evolving, we're just a step. But even that's like, I, I don't know. I don't know how these things are going to work out. I don't know how things are going to work out with the religious population growing in number and influence and, and the secular population going further left but potentially losing more power. What's going to happen? It would not surprise me if Israel becomes increasingly religious until Yeshua returns and we have kind of a recapitulation of what we had the gospel and Acts and that Jewish believers living within Israel are living within an increasingly religious Israel. But that would mean that many Israelis wouldn't feel at home there. They would say, hey, I'm, I'm out of here. It's too religious, or, or you've got too much power, or you're enforcing your rules. Look, to this day, if you want to have an official wedding in Israel, then it, it must be an Orthodox Jewish wedding. So there are Jews that will, Israelis will go over to Cyprus, Neighboring island, they'll go over to Cyprus, have their wedding there, so it's official, and they'll come back because they don't want to have to do it under Orthodox supervision. If, if you have a hotel and you serve meals there, it has to be rabbinic kashri, that has to be according to rabbinic law. These were some of the compromises, some arrangements that were made with this Israeli secular government, religious Jews, even at the founding of the nation. But this creates increasing tension. So I'm here to tell you, I do not know what the solution is. But I do know we're called to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Shalom, shalom, Yerushalayim. We, we, are, we are called to pray for the Lord's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we are to pray for the Lord's return. And for me, the great, the great goal is let us advance the name of Yeshua within the land of Israel. Let us exalt his name. Let us preach him. Let us bring our fellow Jews to the knowledge of Messiah. And let us reach out with that same gospel to those who identify as the Palestinian people 
because only the Prince of Peace, only the Sar Shalom, he is the only one that has an ultimate solution. And I believe that any major solutions that come before that will only be temporary and will ultimately lead to a final disruption before the Lord's return. But it's, it's, it's an amazing time. Those that are going to be joining us in the tour in May can't wait, still counting the days. If you haven't signed up, yeah, still some, we've been saying still some seats for all because the last few are still there. Go to our website, askdrbrown, askdrbrown.org. And just scroll down on the page, you'll see a banner and, and Israel slide will come up. You can still get in on the trip. But it's a great time to be praying for God to open up hearts, open up minds, and bring people to the realization we can only find an answer in Yeshua, in Jesus, in the Messiah. All right, we've got a word from our sponsor, Trivita, that I wholeheartedly endorse. And we'll be back with your Jewish-related calls. And on the phones, oh, phone lines are lit up as soon as we come back. hear what Trivita customers are saying. Dr. Brown, I can't wait to tell you that those supplements are absolutely amazing. My strength has gone up at least 15 pounds in everything I do. I mean, I can curl, like I'll usually do curls with arms. You know, I'll do 40 to 45. I was doing 60 pound curls 10 times in each arm. And then yesterday, uh, I did a back workout, and I was doing weight that I haven't done since my 20s. Um, and I usually ride my bike to the gym. It's about a 10, 12-minute bike ride. And then on the way back, after I've done my weight training, you know, I ride back, but I'm, I'm huffing and puffing. And I rode my bike there and back, and I had so much energy. I'm telling you, the combination of the nitric oxide with the uh, MyoHealth is just amazing. I'm just, I can't believe how much strength I have right now. I mean, I'm just really excited about it. Trivita wants you to experience wellness too. Do something good for your heart and cardiovascular system. Learn how to get 25% off Nitric Oxide Plus. Call 800-811-9628 or go to Trivita.com. Use promo code BROWN25 in the shopping cart to receive 25% off your first order and Trivita will give a substantial portion of your order to help support the Line of Fire radio broadcast. Call 800-811-9628 or go to Trivita.com. Use promo code BROWN25 in the shopping cart. Get 25% off Nitric Oxide Plus. Call 800-811-9628. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on the Line of Fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thank you for joining us on this thoroughly Jewish Thursday. You know, uh, many weeks, because it's only one day a week we have the, uh, the special Jewish music. I'm, I'm ready to start talking after our skillet friends are singing. It's like, oh, oh, but we nailed it. We got it today. I, I got it right. Nobody had to remind me. Uh, 866-34-TRUTH. All right, so my, my latest workout update uh, hit a good workout with a couple of young men 
I guess in their 30s last night. Yes, came out victorious, but was so energized we did a, a, another follow-up workout. So uh, keep telling people healthy eating, healthy eating. I'm about to turn 68 and going for it. And then these Trivita supplements have been terrific. So 800-771-5584. Make sure you say Dr. Brown sent you, all right? Let us go to the phones. And we'll start with Rod in Canada. Welcome to the line of fire. Thank you. Thank you. For, thank you for taking my call. You are very uh, welcome. The other day you had a caller from Roswell, New Mexico. Oh, yeah. yeah I was you... joking at the end. <laughs> we got to talk about aliens, right? <laughs> yeah. So I wanted, I wanted to get your take on that because um, a congressman recently mentioned that there's pretty clear evidence for UFOs in the Bible and his reference point was Ezekiel 1. And I think if you look at um, the new the NIV, it's like 1, 4 through 5. And and just generally, like, um, what what your take is. And because when I when I read a lot of things that talk about bright lights and and um, voices from angels and things like that, it sounds like the UFO experience that a lot of people report now. So, yeah. Right. Thank so, you. Okay. Th- thanks for the question. All right. First, a UFO doesn't mean an alien. It just means an unidentified flying object, right? So if, if, if the government says, yes, we know the existence of UFOs, so no one's denying that UFOs exist. The question is, what are they? What's behind them? Who are they? You do have the highly unlikely scenario that an advanced civilization so advanced that it's able to time travel all the way over here, comes here and then, you know, spurts around the air for a little while and takes off and disappears. And it's also very interesting that in the great majority of cases that I'm aware of, just as I've read what others have documented, because I've never studied this uh, on my own, I've, I've studied what others have said about it. The great majority of cases where you have people talking about these UFO encounters, there are people into new age stuff, there are people into alternate types of spirituality, and then you'll have people who are believers saying the exact thing happened to them. There was this light hovering over them. They felt their their spirit being sucked out of their body, and they rebuked it in Jesus' name, and next thing they were were back to normal. So for them, they just believe it was some demonic type of thing. So that's all I'm going to say about UFOs, aliens today. But as far as in the Bible, to say, okay, Ezekiel 1, that must have been explained as the UFO and the wheels within the wheels, and what else would that be? Well, bear in mind, that this is when God speaks to Ezekiel, right? In other words, if that's the case, then Ezekiel never had an encounter with God. And all of his prophecies were actually not from God. And all the words he received subsequently and the miraculous confirmations, it was not from God. It was some alien being that was very, very powerful. And not only so, where you have elsewhere, like in Ezekiel 8, where an angel comes from the presence of the Lord, you know, like, like burning fire, that that is also not really uh, from God. This was just another alien encounter. So to me, that's so bogus. That's so completely wrong. Ezekiel is so clearly the word of God and the encounter he has with God is so life transforming in so many ways. And his message is one of holiness and repentance and the things he prophesies actually come to pass that I, I throw that theory out completely and entirely. And there's nothing I read in the Bible that strikes me like, wow, that must have been a UFO. I remember as a new believer hearing, oh, the Bible prophesies about cars. It's like, what? <laughs> so you, you get to, to Nahum, Nahum, 
you get to that book and it's talking about the chariots and like blazing in the, in the, uh, in the streets. So that was the Bible prophesying about cars or the Bible prophesied about airplanes. Where's that? Well, in Ecclesiastes that a little bird will fly and report what was heard in one place and another place. Like it's a figure of speech. So I don't see any more evidence for UFOs than for those things in the Bible. I I appreciate uh, your answer. So thank you. And I, I also appreciate the way you handle a lot of, uh, challenging calls and callers, and I think you do a really good job in balancing uh, compassion and, and kindness and, and truth. So, well done. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Thank you so much. 866-34-TRUTH. We do have our phone lines lit up, but we do have a couple of phone lines open if you want to get through 866-348-7884. Let's go to Jeff in New York City. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Hi, Dr. Brad. Thank you so much for taking my call. Um, you are very welcome. Uh, I, I, I wanted to let you know that um, I'm 45 years old, uh, was raised Jewish, and had a tr- kind of a traditional Reformed Jewish upbringing that uh, a lot of people my age have had. Mm-hmm. And it, uh, you know, included some kind of su- surface, kind of trivial things, but not a lot of deep spirituality. Yeah. Um, hey, can I just jump in and a, say, Jeff, that... Just to mention that, that my wife, Nancy, her mom was married a few times, and the, the main stepfather that raised her when, when she was a little girl was a Reformed Jew, basically an atheist, but active in the synagogue. And Nancy, as a little girl, not even eight years old, going to the Reformed synagogue, concluded that there was no God. In other words, it was clear enough to her as a little kid that there was kind of a superficial religion without God in the heart of it. So for many, that type of upbringing actually pushes them away from God because of the superficiality and the non-supernatural aspect of it. But sorry to interrupt. I just wanted to throw that in. So back no, to your story. No, yeah. not, not at all. I, I appreciate that. And um, I think, you know, there was all, always a sense of searching for truth. And even though I wasn't finding a lot of that inner truth, um, you know, in, in my religious upbringing, um, holding the Torah when I would do that would feel very special. Mm-hmm. And I did sense that there was something there. And yeah. I, I went through, uh, you know, a very typical journey of exploring all kinds of different philosophies. Um, and you were a very large part of helping me um, realize, uh, you know, the, the, the truth of the New Testament, the truth of Jesus, Yeshua. Um, and it has profoundly changed my life and actually made me realize that I, I can proudly be uh, who, who I was raised to be, you know, that, that my identity is even b- burns more, more brightly than I could have imagined now that I feel like I have the, the whole truth, um, some of which just hadn't been shown to me. Um, and so I, I, I just wanted to tell you how meaningful that is. And then I also wanted to specifically mention how much I really appreciate the way you um, present multiple sides of issues. And a lot of what you said yesterday um, about January 6th uh, really rang true to me because as somebody who, uh, you know, was raised um, very liberally, um, you know, is, is in New York City in a very progressive environment, I've had to evaluate a lot of uh, my own beliefs and I've had to change a lot of my my opinions on things, which actually is a has become a joyous thing. Mm-hmm. Um, however, in the process of doing that, there have been things that I've seen that seem counter to the, the brilliance of the gospel, you know, yes. and specifically when you called out 
some of the words, you know, uh, that, that Donald Trump said about I am your retribution um, without getting into him or politics at all. That, that's a complicated thing. But just just saying that to me hurt my heart from what I understand of the gospel and of, of Jesus. Yeah. And I know these are complicated issues, but I appreciated, um, you know, hearing you have a balanced view on that and also a, a balanced view on appreciating, uh, you know, what what we observe has, has happened on January 6th. And I just think in the pursuit of truth and in trying to convince people, um, you know, people like me uh, who are liberal to come to a, a different perspective, the more consistent we can be, the more truthful we can be, the more sometimes we can admit that maybe some of the extreme aspects of, of certain yeah. people are, are not truthful. Yeah, Jeff, so hey, I, I'm I just going to jump in. Stay, stay right here. I want to talk to you on the other side of the break. But friends, politics is not the gospel. We're involved politically, but politics is not the gospel. Jeff, I just want to find out more about your story. Stay right here. Thank you for the good word. We'll be right back. Hey, friends, Michael Brown here. You know, it seems the whole country now is talking about revival. Could it be that a fresh wave of revival is here? Friends, I've said for decades, without a fresh wave of revival in the church and awakening in society, it's, it's over for America as we know it. And that's why I wrote the book, Revival or We Die. A Great Awakening is Our Only Hope. Friends, when you read this book, it won't just give you a vision of what revival can do in society, in the church, but in your own heart, in your own life, it'll light a fresh fire in you. It'll ignite something in you, a hunger, a desire, a vision of what God can do through a yielded life. Revival or we die. I even have a whole chapter where I share intimate, open prayers I've prayed to God, even in recent years, to ignite afresh a first love in me. I believe as you read it, something will be ignited within you as well. But you know, whenever revival comes, there's controversy. And that's why I wrote the revival answer book. I wrote it in the midst of the Brownsboro revival, answering the many honest questions. Is there too much emotion? What about shaking? What about falling? What about unusual things that happen in revival? And, and can we really expect revival in the last days or will things only get worse? When you order this hardcover edition of Revival or We Die, I want to give you this book, the Revival Answer Book, 300-page book. I want to give it to you absolutely free. So here's the number to call, 1-800-538-5275. That's one 800 538 5275 or go to ask just click on shop and when you do you'll see the special offer the hardcover edition of revival or we die a great awakening is our only hope along with the revival answer book is our free gift to you when you order one more time the number to call 1-800-538-5275 the time for revival is It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on The Line of Fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. His grace and his face shine upon you. That sounds like the voice of Misha Getz, known her since well, before she was born and ministered many times with her mom and dad, Marty and Jennifer Getz, uh, April 6th at the Museum of the Bible. 
we are uh, participating in a Messianic Jewish Seder. I'll get to preach a message there. I believe it's sold out. 400 tickets, I believe it's sold out. It should be a very special event. And God willing, that day I'll be broadcasting live from the Museum of the Bible. I, I want to mention something about revival and controversy before the show's out. I want to come back to that. But first, let me just get back to Jeff in, in New York City. So, so Jeff, uh, I know this is a long story, but for the benefit of our listeners, and I'd love to hear it, when you said that you were on a journey and rediscovering or discovering the truth about Yeshua in the New Testament, Jesus being our Messiah, and, and that the Line of Fire broadcast played an instrumental role. So at what point in your journey did you find out about the broadcast, and then how did it help solidify things for you? So I think, for me, it started with when I decided to read the New Testament. Um, this was about 10 years ago, and I, it occurred to me, you know, I've never read this. This is the most important book in the world, and why have I not read this? And, you know, it didn't take me long, um, basically right as soon as you get to the Sermon on the Mount, and I literally had tears streaming mm. down uh, my face because Jesus is saying there was basically confirming the nature of God that I had always wanted to believe God could be, but had never been taught God was. Mm. And, and hearing Jesus say that was sort of like hearing, yes, this is what I've been longing for. Mm. Uh, this is what my heart told me, you know, if, if God is real, th this is what God would have to be. And then hearing God say that, um, was so meaningful. And so it was, it was around that time that I started to do a bunch of research on, on many sources, books and, and YouTube. Um, and it was around that time uh, that I found uh, you and, and listened to a number of debates. Um, and it was, um, a lot of it was your own story, a lot of which I related to. You know, I've had struggles with alcohol and drugs and uh, food um, and, uh, anxiety and, and a lot of things. Um, and, uh, you, you just presented a very warm and, uh, what felt undeniably truthful, um, you know, uh, I, I was going to say argument, but I, I don't even want to put that word to it. It was just a very loving, uh, justification to help me realize that these new ideas that I was beginning to incorporate into my life were not really contrary to who yeah. I was. They were yeah. actually the fulfillment of who I was, you know? Yeah, Jeff, thanks for sharing that. And it's, it's so meaningful. So friends, what Jeff is saying as a Jew, okay, now you read, it's like, well, the New Testament, it seems right. And Jesus, wow, it's, it's like everything I, I wanted God to be, but I'm a Jew. Uh, you know, when I, when I first came to faith, my dad's famous words to me, Michael, I'm glad you're off drugs, but we're Jews. We don't believe this. So when we're able to say, no, this whole thing is Jewish. Jesus is Yeshua. His mother is Miriam. He dies in conjunction with Passover. And, and you know, it's, everything is it's, it's fulfilling what's in Scripture. It's the culmination of, of what we've been longing for and looking for. So, Jeff, it is, it is great to hear about your, your journey. I really appreciate that. And thanks for sharing so graciously. May, may God's grace be with you. May he use you to reach many of our people in New York. So, so listen, I, I've just got some good news to share with you, friends. You know, we were on for years in a big station in New York City. And I would even get calls sometimes from ultra-Orthodox Jews. Hey, I like what you're doing. We don't agree on everything. Or an email, I, I, can't, I can't tell you more. 
I can't give you my address, but I listen regularly and I agree with you. You know, and can we say anything? No, 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 no. It's, it's all in secret. So we were on for years and, and then um, we didn't have the financial infra infrastructure to sustain us. But thankfully, with, with uh, our new sponsor and many of you stepping forward to stand with us, uh, we are starting to get back on some key stations. I'll be giving an announcement in the next week or two about our first one. So uh, little by little, by God's grace, we are going to blanket America with the line of fire. And that also means reaching a whole lot more Jewish people. It's in the convenience of their car, the secrecy of it, boom, there you go. And all of you, if you've never visited our Jewish website, Real Messiah, it's there for you. If you just want to watch debates I've had with rabbis or learn about why Jews don't believe in Jesus, how we respond, or whatever your background, if you're a Jewish person and you're really curious, or you think I'm wrong, but you, you, you want to be intellectually fair and, and have integrity, you want to study, realmessiah.com, realmessiah.com. If you have the Ask Dr. Brown Ministries app, just scroll down and you'll see Real Messiah right there on the homepage of the app. All right, with that, we go to Anthony in Spartanburg, South Carolina. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Hello, can you hear me? Yes, I can, sir. Hey, how you doing, Dr. Brown? Doing very well, thank you. All right. Um, so I was reading in the book of Luke, and reading chapter 21, and I went across verse 24, mm -hmm. and I was kind of confused on it, right? So I was trying to see if you can give me an explanation on yep. what the time of the Gentiles mean and right, how so, does it relate to the return right, so of Jesus. Jewish people will be sent out as captives to the nations and Jerusalem will be trodden down by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. So on the one hand, it's telling you this, this idea of Jewish people scattered and in servitude among the nations will come to an end. In other words, that these things will happen until, which implies there is a return back to Jerusalem. So my understanding is that this, this begins to have its, this fulfillment in, in 1967 in the Six-Day War when Jerusalem is now united under Jewish leadership for the first time in 1900 years. That even in 1948, Jerusalem was a divided city. And you had Jordanian control of, of, uh, of half of Jerusalem. And in that sense, the most sacred parts and where the, the wall is, we call the Wailing Wall, but in Hebrew, just the Kotel, the wall. And that was really trodden underfoot of the Gentiles. And even Jewish cemeteries were vandalized and things like that. Synagogues just used as public bathhouses, uh, bathrooms. So as, as Jerusalem is retaken, then... Six-day war in 1967, Jerusalem back in Jewish hands. That to me, and to many others, is the clear beginning that the times of the Gentiles ruling over Jerusalem have come to an end. Now, there, there's still a battle going on over these things. But with that, uh, Jewish control of Jerusalem, more and more Jewish people returning to the land. And as the gospel continues to go out into the entire world, we're still... There's still the times of the Gentiles in terms of the gospel going out to the whole world. But that comes to a climax as all the nations hear the gospel and ultimately the gospel comes back to Jerusalem and the Jewish people themselves are saved. So that's how I understand it. Jerusalem back in Jewish hands, no longer trodden underfoot by the Gentiles. And that begins to, to have its fulfillment in 67, 1967 of this era, which is why we continue to see Jewish return to the land we continue to see 
Jewish believers reconnecting more to the Lord, the church recognizing more of its Jewish roots. And as the gospel continues to accelerate around the world with more Gentiles coming to faith every year than ever before, that will come to its climax. And on the heels of that, Israel will be saved. Okay. That sounds like a great explanation. Uh, well, yes, you are very welcome, sir. I appreciate the call. Uh, 866- yep. We're going for it, man. We are going for it. Thank you. 866-34-TRUTH. Uh, let us go to Kim in High Point, North Carolina. Welcome to the line of fire. Are you there? I tell you what, I don't see Kim here anymore, but her question I can easily answer. What were the people of God called before Jews? So initially you have Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. So they're just people, right? Now you have the sons of Israel, the B'nai Israel, children of Israel. So that's who they are. We're, we're the family of, of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, right? <clears throat> so children of Israel. And that's the one uh, identification. So children of Israel or Israel. So Israel is my firstborn son. That's what, what Moses tells Pharaoh from the Lord. Let, let, let my son go that he can worship me, right? So let Israel go. So the whole nation was called Israel. Then you had the tribal identities within that. So you were a Simeonite or a Manassite or a Levite or a Judahite or Judean, right? At a certain point, <clears throat> when the northern kingdom is, is largely exiled, where remnants from the, the 10 northern tribes come down and join the kingdom of Judah. Now, the kingdom of Judah is smashed by the Babylonians. Many Judeans go into exile. Now return, and now you have what's called the province of Judah. And that's where you have Yehudi, someone who lives in the province of Judah is a Yehudi. So it previously, was, previously was someone who lives in the tribe of Judah is a Yehudi, and now the one who lives in the, uh, the province of Judah is a Yehudi, a Jew. And this becomes the identity. This is where basically in the one place back in the land where all the different tribes of Israel, mainly Judean, Benjamite, Levite, but also some of the other tribes, they're all there in one place. So anyone that lives there is now Yehudi. And that's how Jew became a name for all the 12 tribes. Uh, so anyone, wherever your background is, you're, you're you're a part of a Jew, but originally it was children of Israel, Israel as a whole, and then became more focused with Jew and, and Judean. By the way, uh, March 23rd is our date for, uh, for the debate with uh, Hebrew Israelite leader Al Alazar, uh, debating the 12 tribe chart that uh, this particular group of Hebrew Israelites uses. Many other Hebrew, Hebrew Israelites recognize the whole thing's bogus. There's no truth to it. Um, the overall presentation in this group is this tribe. It's just completely bogus. But we are debating it. I'm sure it's going to be a serious debate. And I will be arguing against the 12 tribe chart and for the authenticity, the legitimate Israelite ancestry of Ashkenazi Jews, of which most of my lineage comes. I'm like roughly 90% uh, Ashkenazi, 10% Sephardic. But pray with me. It's March 23rd. It'll be live stream. We'll give you all the details. Uh, I know the things we understand. Academically, it's completely bogus. There, there's, there's not a solid acad academician in the world that would support the 12 tribe chart. The thing's invented, okay? Uh, alleged revelation is just invented. The, the question is, how can I reach people who really believe it's true? Because they're already 
they're prejudiced against me. I'm, I'm a white guy, and I'm this white Edomite devil. And, and there's such deception, and in some cases, such hatred. So this is not all Hebrew Israelites. I'm talking about some particular group. So let's really pray that the Holy Spirit would open eyes, that the truth would just penetrate. And then before that, in London, March 20th, debating Zakir Hussein on the question, does the Bible prophesy about Muhammad? So thanks for your prayers. We'll be right back. Chronic inflammation is the greatest health threat to humanity. Infections, injuries, toxins, poor diet, and chronic stress can attack your immune system and lead to chronic inflammation. But now there's a solution you can fight this dangerous silent killer with, Nopalea. Made from the superfruit of the Nepal cactus, containing a unique group of bioflavonoids clinically shown to reduce chronic inflammation. In a random double-blind placebo-controlled study, it showed a reduction of elevated at-risk C-reactive protein levels, resulting in an improvement in range of motion in the back, neck, and joints, and an overall improvement in the quality of life. Nopalea has helped thousands of people by lowering levels of chronic inflammation. So call now, 800-811-9628, or go to Trivita.com. Use the promo code BROWN25 for 25% off your first order, and Trivita will give a substantial portion of your order to help support the Line of Fire radio broadcast. Or call 800-811-9628. Let's hear what customers are saying. A couple of months ago, I discovered Nopalea, and I started taking it every day like they suggested, and I started to have more movement and not feel the same stiffness. It, it keeps me going. I don't have to take days off anymore. I don't have to wear the brace around my back. I love Nopalea because I can go out and run with a girl that's half my age and still stay stride for stride with her, and my joints and my knees aren't bothering. Is fantastic. Call now, 800-811-9628 or go to Trivita.com. Use the promo code BROWN25 for 25% off your first order or call 800-811-9628. That's 800-811-9628. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on the Line of Fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Oh yeah, Isaiah 12, you will draw water with joy from the wells of salvation. Love it. So um, 866-34-TRUTH, and we'll get a couple more calls. If you are in the greater London area and want info on the March 20th debate with Sakir Hussein, it is will be at a university uh, in London, but we have been told not to post the information online for various reasons from the university. So uh, you could just write to us, go to our website and click on contact. So askdrbrown.org, click on contact. And when you do, uh, we will then uh, send you the specific information. We're just asking you not to post in respect to the university's request. It could be numbers of people or whatever. I'm not really sure the reason, but we appreciate them hosting the debate that's coming up very, very soon. Also, we've got special events with chosen people, London, March 18th, and Manchester, March 19th. So those are on our itinerary on the AskDrBrown.org website. So before I go back to the calls, 
if, if you heard our presentation at the bottom of the hour talking about our resource package this month, my book Revival or We Die, it'll really, it'll not only give you a vision for revival and how critically wonderful it is and, and essential, but it'll spark your own heart to go after God. With that, free the book, Revival Answer Book that we're giving you with, with the purchase of Revival or We Die. And I, I said it, I think, as, as recently as yesterday, you can, have revi- you can have controversy without revival. You can't have revival without controversy. I was sent a link today, but what, it was a report on Asbury, critical report, and it's, I'm not even going to give details. I don't want to draw attention to it. it. It was sad to read. It was, I sent it to some of my colleagues, and we're just saddened by the criticism absolutely saddened and it's it's so unfortunate on so many lines but yet people make these mistakes all the time a true move of god comes and they don't recognize it where they write it off for various reasons it's like clockwork so i've got a question for you Uh, name for me one of the 10 spies who said we can't take the land the children of israel sent out their 12 spies name me one of the 10 who said we can't take the land you probably read it many times right in numbers you don't remember them. Name me the two who said we can, Joshua and Caleb. It was Pastor Wayne Benson. I heard you use that illustration many years ago. It stuck with me. Uh, name for me the chief critic of the Great Awakening who opposed Jonathan Edwards. You don't know Charles Chauncey. It's past. Name for me the pastor that said that the Welsh revival with Evan Roberts and others, that it was a blasphemous travesty of the real thing. You don't name Peter Price. It's gone. Or, or who was what, Bishop Lavender, I think, who opposed Whitfield. You have these people, you forget those names. So it's really important to understand that when God moves, there will be invalid criticism that misses the move of God. And then constructive things we need to hear. How do we sort them out? So that's what I get into in the Revival Answer book. So again, uh, let me turn this over the right number for you. 800-538-5275. This two-book package, you get the second book free. 800-538-5275. Uh, you'll be blessed by the content. I feel very sure of it. You'll be stirred in your spirit. You'll be helped in your mind. Word, spirit, grace, truth together. I, I think you'll be really helped by this package. So I just want to mention it to you again. Uh, we go back to the phones with Michael in King, North Carolina. Welcome to the line of fire. Hello, Michael. Are you there? All right, I guess Michael couldn't hold. That happens. Life happens. You get busy. Uh, let's go over to Brett in Raleigh, North Carolina. Welcome to the line of fire. Hey, Dr. Brown. Hey. How are you? I'm doing really well. Thank you. Praise the Lord. Um, my question, because you're a Hebrew uh, scholar and expert, is on Genesis 15. Mm-hmm. And when the word of the Lord uh, comes to Abram, okay, the Debar Yahweh, it comes to him in a vision, yep. and then he uh, brings up what is his sourced uh, point in life, his you know, his, uh, progeny or the lack thereof. Anyway, uh, so Abram calls him, I think, Adonai Yahweh, and then in the end of the pericope, um, uh, the Holy Spirit says that, that uh, Yahweh cut a covenant with Abram that day. Mm-hmm. And my question is this, why, why would we not see uh, Debar Yahweh as a title for the person of God? Because it didn't appear like meeny, meeny, uh, you know, 
right, people you parse or anything. Right. So this yes. is a, this is so a being who came as Devardhanai, the word of the Lord. Yes. Just like and then, Jesus and then is when the we word read John flesh. one. Right. Yeah, and then when we read John one, we go like Elf. We say, "Oh, I know him." Yep. Right. So, so to uh, make sure all of our listeners are following this, it's it's a great question, Brett, and and others have come at this as well. Jeremiah might say the word of the Lord came to me saying, and he, he gets a word, he gets a revelation, right? He hears something, so the word came to him. Or you have in Daniel 5, their handwriting on the wall. It's literally words written on the wall, basically saying you've been weighed in the balance and, and, and found wanting. But here it says the word of the Lord came to Abram, and now he's talking actually with Yahweh, with the Lord himself, so is the word of the Lord there not talking about a thing, but a person, a, a being, the Lord himself, meaning the son of God. Now, for sure, my view is whenever God appears in the Old Testament, that's the son appearing because the son makes the father known. No one has seen God at any time, meaning the father in his, in his unveiled glory, but the son makes him known. That's what we read in John 1.18, right? That, that the son makes the father known. That's what we read in John 14. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father, Hebrews 1, that he's the express image of his, of his being, that he's the shining forth of his being. 1 Timothy 6 reiterates that no one is, has seen God, and yet he is seen, he does appear. So I do believe whenever he appears, it is the Son appearing, and that this would be potentially an example of the Word appearing. And whatever whatever the appearance was that the word of the Lord is actually the Lord himself. In this case, the son of God, the word made flesh in the new Testament now appearing. It's possible to read it like that. The, the other way to read it is the word of the Lord came to him, but it came through God himself being there or that the word of the Lord is God himself. So it's, it's um, my first reading when I look at it, you know, over the years when I've read it, I've read it in that sense of the word of the Lord came to him through God speaking to him directly. But can you understand yeah. it that the word of the Lord is God speaking? It's, it's certainly possible to read it like that, sir. Yes. Okay. Well, that's, that's well said. And it could be uh, uh, both, couldn't it? Sometimes. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Like I have, I have friends who think that wherever it says the word of the Lord came to me saying that it was actually, it was actually the Lord coming to that person and speaking. No. Um, yeah. I don't see that. Right. Right. Yeah. But, but the way you, the way you opened it up is sound. In other words, it says this, and then this is what follows. So that's, but, that's the, but the LXS doesn't trans doesn't uh, translate that is the, is, uh, is uh, Lagos. Right. So let me, let me just look here. Um, so in verse four, he nidvardenai elav lemor. Now again, the, the, reading the Hebrew just grammatically, the word of the Lord came to him saying. So is it God saying or the word saying? So the Greek is, let's say. No, I'm so talking about verse one. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. E either way. Devar Yahweh. Right. In after these things. Right. Well, it's it's the exact same thing in verse four. Devar Devar oh. Yahweh. Yeah, the exact same thing. Um, the Septuagint, let's just see, in, in, in the fourth verse, it, it emphasizes it was the voice of the Lord. And here it's the rhema. Yeah, rhema kurio. So it is, it's just a literal translation. 
um, Rhema and Logos being somewhat interchangeable in terms of their usage. And again, the Septuagint's not anticipating John's prologue, right? Or they're not <laughs> anticipating Philo's use of Logos. So it's a perfectly uh, Rhema for uh, translating Devar. That's perfectly legit. Sure. Okay. So it's, well, thank you so much. You're very welcome. You bet. God bless. Yeah, it's nice to have my accordance software here, things that I don't have memorized in my head to be able to look. So I've got in front of me, I've got the, the Hebrew text next to that, the Targum, the Aramaic next to that, the Greek Septuagint next to that, the Syriac Peshitta. All right. Um, Sean in Michigan, time is really short. So dive right in and I'll try to answer quickly. Okay. Um, I just want to ask a question about Ezekiel 2177. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. It says, uh, I will overturn, overturn, overturn. I just said, uh, no more. Until he comes, who's writing it, I will give it, it to him. And uh, who was it? I mean, who is the him that is talking about him? All right, and, and who is the ring and ring and ring talking about? All right, I, Sean, I apologize. It's it's very hard to, to hear you. What text specifically were you asking about? Ezekiel 21, 27. All right, Ezekiel 21, 27. I'm going to try to race there before, before we go off the air. 21, 27. And, okay, in his right hand. Right. Uh, okay, tell you what, here's the deal. I'm going to try to sort this out uh, later today and figure out exactly what question you're asking and then maybe start the show tomorrow with the answer, if I could sort it out. I, I was doing my best to listen. I just had a hard time hearing and understanding what you're saying. Hey, may the Lord bless you. Friends, do you have my app? You don't? Oh, come on, you don't have it? We work so hard for you. Ask Dr. Brown Ministries, ASKDR Brown Ministries. Download it now. Another program powered by the Truth Network.